Hello and welcome to the Employability Services podcast channel Bernessa. My name is Fionn Davis. And my name is Dr Beth Edwards and we'll be hosting each and every episode of this new channel. Today we're welcoming two guests to our podcast. So we have Leandro with us from Disability Wales and the second speaker is Stephen from Disability Connect. So it's great to have you both here with us today and thank you ever so much for your time. Great to be here. Great to be here. Glad to hear you say that. <laughs> um, right, so should we start with some introductions? Is that all right? Yeah, yeah, good idea. Leandra, do you want to go first? Brilliant. Um, so yeah, I'm Leandra. I work for Disability Wales. Before that, I was at university um, doing a master's in astrophysics, but I kind of came into this field due to my lived experience with um, having barriers into my study and potentially into my career. And I decided that I was more passionate about dealing with the barriers than about the field. So I decided to go into this field instead. Currently with Disability Wales, I'm working on our training and consultancy services. So I'm looking at um, how we deliver training, talking about the social model of disability in particular and kind of just trying to get involved with everything that we do really um, to look at how we can develop everything further. Brilliant, thanks Sandra, that's great. Stephen, are you okay to go next? Yeah, of course. Um, So really good to be here. Um, So my name's Stephen Jones. I run the Disability Connect reverse mentoring scheme, um, which is a up mentoring scheme where disabled people will mentor business leaders, um, HR professionals, board members of companies as well on disability best practice. Um, I'm a wheelchair user. I've got a muscle weakness condition. So I've also sort of experienced those firsthand challenges when it comes to disability and recruitment. And since I graduated um, back in, I think it's 2015 now, I've also been employed for the civil service where I've done lots of really exciting things working on Brexit and sort of COVID COVID response jobs as well sort of thing. So real diverse um, experience in that space. But yeah, really good to be here. Brilliant. I was having a chuckle to myself there, Stephen, when you mentioned about um, the Brexit word. Um, But yeah, um, thank you both for that. It sounds really interesting what you do. So the first question is, what type of support does your organisation offer? Great. I'm happy to take this first. So mostly as an organisation, we do look at wider policy you know, giving feedback to Welsh Government, getting information from our members on the barriers they face. Um, But we have done a number of different things. So we actually have a free resource available. It's called the Know Your Rights, Live Your Rights, Use Your Rights. I may have that in the wrong order. And that actually was relaunched in 2021 and it has all the current acts and laws in Wales you can use as a disabled person to advocate for yourself with case studies. So um, in terms of advice, that's always a really good place to look if you're not sure how to combat discrimination on what you can use to advocate for yourself. Um, In addition to that, we do offer work experience placements. I actually did one myself while I was still at university with Disability Wales through the Go Wales project. And we do offer them for people who are over 18. They're short term. So, you know, maybe like a couple of months or so. Um, But they're always bespoke depending on the person. So I think that covers most of it. But also, you know, with our membership, we do have a newsletter. So we've recently launched, for example, a cost of living advice page on our website. So we are very focused to our membership on what's currently going on um, that affects our disabled members. 
it's interesting that you had an experience with Go Wales because at Bang University we have an, a project which has come from Go Wales called the Work Experience Support Programme. So it's really interesting to hear that kind of these projects have helped you, but also now they're continuing as well. So yeah, it's great, great to know as well. I was very happy to hear that it got extended into a new project. Stephen, do you want to go next? Yeah, of course. And so um, my organisation, my organisation, Disability Connect. So we specialise in mentoring. So we mostly focus on mentoring organisations on disability best practice. And the mentors um, that we recruit are, I suppose, they, they're from really diverse backgrounds. So we actually have um, mentors that are at university currently, recent graduates, plus also people that have been in industry for you know 20, 30 years. And I think that's really good because. The organisations that these people mentor really get a diverse set of experience. So if any graduates, upcoming graduates or current university students would be interested in mentoring, please do drop me a line. And then the organisation also offers sort of teaching sessions to organisations sort of training and, and learning on mentoring as well. And we've got lots of specialist knowledge about disability, recruitment and retention and the social model of disability like that's been previously mentioned as well and really how to improve your um, disability understanding and, and best practice as well. Really interesting, thanks Stephen. Do you know when you do have your mentors in, is it like a nine to five, is it like for years or do they just do it here and there when, when the call is there for them to have to do something, how does that normally work? Yeah, really good question. I mean, mentoring is really flexible. The average mentoring relationship is six months with a one hour session taking place per month. So um, it's it's flexible in when those sessions are um, and when they need to be as well. And around monthly really allows for both parties to sort of reflect on what they've sort of learned and really take steps um, to progress that mentoring relationship and really embed the change um, needed. So, yeah, really flexible. It's amazing to hear. Thanks for that. Just thought I'd learn a bit more about it. It's interesting. So um, I think we often hear the word barriers, but maybe some people, you know, including myself, probably could do with a bit of a refresher of like what does barriers actually mean? Um, if you could shed some light on this and perhaps, you know, how it's different for every person and maybe some barriers that you've seen people experience or experience yourselves, that would be amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to kick off if that's OK. I, I always think barriers are, are really interesting because I remember based on my experience when I was a recent graduate, I was sort of desperate to find a graduate job. It was almost like I need to find something um, I really, really want to as well. And I think looking back, maybe I should have questioned the almost reality of my perception of those barriers, I think, because I was thinking, what are employers like? What will they be like? Will I be able to sort of get a job in that organisation? And I think one of the key things I always thought was, so I, I drive, I, I sort of use a wheelchair, I put the wheelchair in the car and I was thinking, if I want to work in London or other major cities, they probably won't have parking. But actually, I've, I've worked in London for the last six, seven years and there's parking everywhere that I've worked. And that shows that actually there was that incorrect perception at the start. It's almost a barrier inside my mind about sort of what it is and what I could and couldn't do. So I think what I'd always say is sort of do some research, have a think about what organisation is for you. And I would say that organisations still have a, a bit of way to go to really embed disability best practice, but lots of them are doing really, really good work. 
and I think it's always key to sort of look out the, look out for the ones that are being proactive in this space so if potentially they're signed up as a disability confident um, organisation or they've got their diversity inclusion policy on their website or they're sort of advertising the um, like reasonable adjustments that they provide I think that really shows a good signal that actually these organisations want to recruit really talented um, disabled graduates and they want to keep them in their company as well. I think it's um, a good thing for everyone to pick up on really whether you've got these barriers yourself is like thinking about not only is the employer somewhere that you would like to work and fit what your your needs are whether that be a barrier in this sense but also this idea of the wider responsibility in in everyone being aware and everyone having that knowledge so whether they need the specific support but they're aware of it so the employees as well as the organization are filling that criteria as well so I think it's definitely something that everybody can can take a leaf out of that book so to say. And Stephen would you like obviously it's really good to research you know the employer you're applying to be their employee um, at the application stage but if you've maybe you've got carried away, you've put your application in, you haven't done any research in terms of what kind of things you, they can offer, mm-hmm. would it be a good idea sometimes to bring that up in an interview stage, perhaps ask like, what what can you offer me as I start, or if I start in this role, is there anything like that you would recommend? Yeah, I mean, I mean, what I would say is, is probably not to be afraid of requesting reasonable adjustments. I think when I was sort of first applying for roles, I was thinking, oh, should I put that down? Um, or what will they think? Or will that sort of be used against me? But organisations have a responsibility to provide these. And that is at the recruitment stage and in employment as well. So actually, if you need a bit of flexibility for when that interview is, sort of what time of the day it is, um, and actually what, what you need in that interview, I wouldn't be afraid of actually requesting those. Because I think, you know, as, as as you said there, Beth, as well, I think like, employers have quite a key role of actually saying that this is what we can offer. Come and work for us, please. And if they then put them in place to a really good standard, I think that shows a clear message of actually that's a company I want to work at. So I would say always open that conversation with that employer, because more often than not, they want to put these in place and they sort of want want to help candidates sort of thing and remove that disadvantage which is uh, why reasonable adjustments are there. Absolutely brilliant thank you so much for that. Lanja do you even remember the question because we've got yeah. a bit off topic Yes so just before I start talking about barriers I just want to explain what the social model of disability is because I realised I hadn't done that when I started throwing the term around so I (laughs) apologise. The social model of disability was actually created by disabled people themselves and it's a way of viewing what disability is and it identifies a very strict difference between what disability means and what impairment means. So impairment would be illness, health condition, neurodivergence, etc. That means that you function somewhat differently to the rest of, I'm using quotation marks here, normal society. Disability is put on the person by the barriers in society. So those can be organisational, environmental and attitudinal. So in regards to what those three words mean, so organisational barriers are things where people organise a way of doing something that's not accessible. So insisting on phone call only appointments can be really discriminatory because that could be a huge barrier, not just for people who are deaf, 
um, but people who maybe struggle with auditory processing. So for me, we're doing this podcast, but we're doing it over a Teams meeting, which is great because it means I can see your faces, which helps me process what you're actually saying. So that's kind of more organisational. Environmental are the more physical barriers that you'll see. So, for example, not having ramps and lifts are a really classic example of an environmental barrier when it comes to accessing locations. And attitudinal barriers are people's perceptions. So we can see this in quite a few different ways, actually. You can see it in that. And, you know, this is something I see, especially when I'm with one of my friends who's a wheelchair user, where people won't talk to my friend. They talk to her PA or they talk to me. There is this assumption of, oh, you're not capable and there's a level of patronising and put down. So that is a negative attitudinal barrier when it comes to being able to advocate for yourself and interact with the world as everyone should be able to. But also, you know, kind of on the flip side, and this is something I do experience sometimes, is a lot of people think that you have to use a mobility aid or look like there's something wrong with you to in their mind go okay so yeah they're disabled so one of the barriers I quite often find is and I've had this when using my blue badge where they said this is a wheelchair user space only it's like no it's a blue badge space and they still argue it so again that's an attitudinal barrier so just kind of on the different kinds of barriers you can face they can all kind of be brought down into those three topics and you know the really sad thing is is that any disabled person you talk to will have experienced one and it is about tackling the barrier not the person that's where why we talk about the social model of disability so much because it is the barrier not the person that's the problem and there are a lot of challenges there um, you know as Stephen was saying when it comes to amount of parking available also there are so many old buildings out there that you can't change physically to um, make them physically accessible there are the ways some places work so shops for me are sensory hell <laughs> being autistic the lights are too bright the radio is too loud it's really anxiety inducing so we do still have quite a long way to go but we are seeing improvements but it would be nice if they came a little bit sooner than later I totally agree with what you're saying and it really leads on to the next question that I've got is do you think there's been a change in the types of barriers that people might have already had them but people recognise or the number of barriers people are experiencing I say now maybe post-covid that might have impacted it but just your thoughts on those type of things really yeah, I'll, I'll come in on that one. And, and I think that was a really interesting previous point about wheelchair users as well, because I think in society, people may still view disability as wheelchair users. And 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 I suppose in some ways I was thinking about this. Can you really blame them when you see lots of the things in car parks, on toilet doors, in other signage, which is all wheelchair user sort of thing? Yes. Um, but actually such a, I think it was around... 8% of the disabled community are actually wheelchair users. So that's a massive 92% of disabled people don't use a wheelchair. So I think that really just highlights how much that sort of imagery and perception is there as well. Um, going back to that question, I think the sort of barriers have changed quite a lot. And since, and I do think COVID has had an element of this, but I do think overall there's more awareness, which I think is really really positive. Potentially previously disability was viewed, um, as we've sort of just saying, as physical. But now I think it's a lot more thinking actually what are sort of mental health conditions, neurodiverse conditions, and how do they impact 
others really and I still think we've got a bit of a way to go in in terms of increasing that awareness of those areas I think and potentially like hybrid working and home working I think that's helped a lot of people it sort of removed those barriers of sort of going out, navigating public transport and sort of accessing older buildings, all of those different issues. But also at the same time, I think some people really struggle having to be on the computer eight, nine, ten hours a day and find that challenging as well. And and I think as well, some people, it's almost their like worst nightmare having a picture of themselves on their screen looking back at them all day, especially people with like body dysmorphia, for example, which just can't you know they find that really difficult and potentially other people that have fatigue for example who might need regular breaks and other things like that really so I think lots of the barriers have been removed but I don't think they've all been removed and I don't think we can sort of forget about those as well. It's interesting you say about the different kind of strengths and limitations of this dynamic working is that has opened up a lot of possibilities but I think it's just for anyone really it's making sure that those positives for some people are not seen as at the expense of some of the barriers for other people because everyone's different like I I know for me I much prefer working in the office because I can just concentrate so I'm thinking if if I'm like that and I think like you say it's opened up doors and the dynamic and flexibility around how we work now I think potentially it's really going to benefit a lot of people it's a shame that a, a worldwide pandemic had to trigger that change we are moving in, in a direction that's mm. forward. Definitely. I think that's just a really point, important point to come in on as well is, you know, not moving backwards. I mean, homeworking is something that's been so commonly requested by disabled people as a reasonable adjustment for years. And generally, in the vast majority of cases, the answer is no, because how will you work from home? You might get distracted. COVID and the lockdowns actually did help tackle that. So now the task is to move to a hybrid setting. So we're not disadvantaging those who prefer it and are more able to work in an office, but we're also not disadvantaging those who work better from home. I mean, I've got chronic fatigue as well myself and I have a two hour lunch break. I wouldn't be able to really do that at work um, if I was in an office setting. So, you know, having a more hybrid manner of going into the office once a week, for example, will work a lot better for me. Um, so it's just wanted to come in on that point. Um, and I think as well that while there has been an improvement in awareness, there have been a couple of things that I think have been quite worrying in terms of, and this again comes down to those attitudinal issues. Um, first of all, this vast generalisation of disabled people is vulnerable. I think it really has created an image in people's heads of disabled people people being like weak and feeble or something um and more worrying than that um because that is something that can be tackled um was something we were seeing especially when we were talking about coming in and out of lockdowns which was um well why don't they just stay inside then why do we have to stop our lives we're not the ones who are vulnerable kind of attitude and that was really really visible especially on things like social media um so i think A lot of the barriers, um, some have been reduced, definitely, but also some of the barriers have changed um, and new barriers are coming in in terms of, for example, some offices may be saying, well, everyone should just work from home. 
Um, so I think we're in an ever-changing world when it comes to barriers as a whole. Um, and it's quite interesting to see how that goes. But it's good to see that some of the barriers um, that have been a really common issue in the past have started um, kind of in a more positive way being, you know, dealt with. Good. Anything that helps is just it's a way forward, isn't it? And yeah, if it can get done better, then that's what we all should be doing. But um, that was really insightful. Thank you. So we're really keen for this platform to be, you know, really useful for our listeners and for them to learn new things and, and all of that. So do you have any advice or top tips to our listeners who may be navigating barriers or maybe some advice for people who work with colleagues who are facing barriers? I know, Stephen, you've already mentioned because I brought up the, um, the interview hack. But if there's anything else, it would be really good if you could share any any top tips you think you might be useful. Um, yeah, I'm happy to come in on this quickly. So first of all, the most important thing is know your rights, know what you know you can ask for. Almost a surprising amount of disabled people don't know about is something called access to work, which can help fund reasonable adjustments like ergonomic chairs, for example. And if, for example, you can't drive taxis to a location um, if you can't get public transport. So, you know, I would say also when you're going into employment, look up access to work and start that path because they can help get you some of the, you know, more technological things that you might need to be able to work to the best of your ability. Um, and yeah, just be open, um, I think, about the barriers, because the simple truth is, is if you hide it and are struggling, there's not much that can be done. Um, which you know is also frustrating so I just say have the confidence to advocate for yourself know your rights so that you can back yourself up if there are any issues um, and yeah check out what support is available not just obviously with access to work but what can the organisation itself can provide. Yeah it's a great point thank you Leandra. Stephen any top tips? Yeah, I mean, probably all of that sort of thing, um, as well as a couple from me. I, th I think that was a really, really good, good couple of points there. And I think knowing your rights is a real key one as well. And just build on that, I'd say don't be afraid to speak up and sort of request adjustments and sort of explain to organisations how they help you and, and go from there. Because I think I, I remember early in my career, um, laptops were just being sort of rolled out for the organisation I was with at that time. And they were in tranches, so they were sort of every three months, every you know six months sort of thing being rolled out to a select group of people, sort of done on almost a random selection. And sort of me sort of driving into central London sort of thing, I didn't have that flexibility. I had to go in and, and, and sort of use the computers in the office. And I, I remember speaking to someone and sort of said, you know what, that would really help me. And they all said, well, OK, then let's let's get you one. And within like a day or two, I had my own laptop and that just didn't come to mind beforehand. I was more thinking, oh, OK, I'm just going to wait until it's my turn. But actually, that was quite significant for me because some mornings if I woke up and I, you know, couldn't drive in or I was particularly tired or, you know, there was an issue with, with going into work sort of thing, that really gave me that freedom and sort of removed that potential disadvantage. So I think my main one would be, really don't be afraid to speak up um i think secondly as well um reasonable adjustments as well i think it's really worth thinking what would help you um and having that conversation with your employer with the recruiter as well and um you know so so many people become disabled within their working life 
So it's really opening that conversation and reasonable adjustments could be you know, physical things like a ramp if someone um, uses a wheelchair, but they could almost be longer breaks. They could almost be starting at 10 o'clock, finishing at six o'clock if someone sort of takes slightly longer to sort of get ready in the morning. So there's different things that can be done. It's not necessarily always physical um, adjustments. And and I think lastly as well, I'd, I would say consider what company you sort of want to work with, where your values are lie as well. I think it's really difficult navigating the graduate recruitment world sort of thing without a disability and then a disability comes in on that and that's another consideration really but I wouldn't be afraid of really looking for what you want to do in your career what you find really valuable and uh, and what you enjoy as well um, so I, I wouldn't be afraid to really push through those boundaries and sort of uh, explore where you want to be and what you want to do. Great, that's really useful. Thank you. And you've just answered one of my next questions in the same one, which is about reasonable adjustments. So that's really interesting to hear from that personal reflection on what you need in accessing support for that. So the one really important question that we need to ask before we let you go and wrap up this podcast. Fionn, over to you for the all important question. Yeah, so this is, like Beth said, a very important question that we try to ask everyone who comes along onto the podcast. I hope you're ready for it. So is a Jaffa cake a cake or a biscuit? Ooh. This is the question. <laughs> this is a debate topic. I'm not sure. Gonna need help. <laughs> what do you so, think? So I'm I'm gonna say it's a cake because mm. it's called a Jaffa cake. <laughs> but but it's, but it's a it's a miniature cake, so you can have mm. you know multiple of them and not feel bad sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best kind, isn't it? <laughs> Mm. what's your vote Leandra are you going with cake yeah I'm going to go with really? cake as well um you know because it's let's be honest it's biscuits are quite a hard base generally but it's actually quite a soft one with then you know like a um flavor layers which you see typically in a cake rather than a biscuit that's so that's a good point yeah okay. so you've you've heard it here first then <laughs> <laughs> I've always lent towards biscuit but you guys are starting to convince me I must say it's making me want one now so <laughs> good thing we're wrapping up but um are there any final comments in all seriousness that you want to say before we finish or anything you'd like to let people know I'd just like to say that first of all just be confident in yourselves to whoever's listening to this um imposter syndrome is such a huge issue and has been for years where people don't value their worth and it's something I've been really guilty of in the past so just know that people do recognize your value and don't sell yourself short at any point and just have confidence and I think that people can go very very far and you know so just I hope our advice has been useful more than anything love that point thank you Stephen anything any last comments probably probably echo that as well I'd say uh you know I, I think believing yourself is a real big thing and I think equally don't put too much pressure on yourself to land the perfect graduate opportunity after university I think you know that happens quite a lot and that's sometimes unnecessary I I certainly when I was graduating I didn't really know what I wanted to do I just knew that I wanted to do something and um you know looking back I've really enjoyed what I've done and the choices I've made sort of thing so I'll say don't put too much pressure on yourself and just go with the flow a little bit and um, almost if you see an opportunity go for it and if you don't like it you can always do something else. 
Oh, great. Well, thank you so much, Leander here from Disability Wales and Stephen from Disability Connect. Yeah, I, I'm sure we could have had you on to talk about lots of other topics during this series. Um, it's been great chatting with you. So thank you for coming. We really appreciate it. And I hope everyone who's listening has enjoyed listening to this episode. But yeah, over to you, Beth. So yeah, tune in for some more discussions and questions. And remember, if anyone listening has got any suggestions for topics or wants to hear from specific speakers, feel free to send us an email on targetconnect at bangor.ac.uk or better yet, send a direct message to our Instagram page at the Employability Service. Bye for now. Thank you.